Good morning, church. Man, welcome to the gathering of the children of God. Like it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's really a thing, man. The gathering of the saints, right? Saints, not by our own doing, but by the grace and power of the redemptive work of Jesus on our behalf to take onto himself our darkness, our sin, and our death, and to transfer onto us his light, his righteousness, and his life. And we are made children of God, saints of the King of Kings, and called to gather together so that we might stir one another up toward love and good deeds, which is the way of our king, right? Wow! Like, can I just remind you why we're here? And I just want to thank you for being here because we need each other to be here. Yes, you can encounter God through his word, through worship, in your car by yourself, uh, in a quiet space in your room. But there is something profoundly connected to the way God designed us that he will speak through those things through us so often. What you cannot encounter is the conversation in the lobby. What you cannot encounter is the hug that you really needed or needed to give. What you cannot encounter is the fact that you're standing in a room and as you look around, when you have no passion by which you can come to God because the weight is so heavy, you can lean into the passion passion of those around you. And when you have more passion that you know what to do with, then you can share it with those around you. So this gathering of the saints, of the children of God, uh, each week and throughout the week, as often as you get together, that is why God was so profoundly urgent in the command to keep doing it. So welcome, welcome to the gathering of the saints. Uh, Peter, just this last week as we were encountering this letter, made a big deal out of this, right? Uh, I mean, Peter said, man, listen, I'm going to spend the rest of my time going to the people of God, the saints, and reminding them of the truths of God. And you all should do the same for each other. So, so what, a, what a call from Peter already to say, man, this, do this, do this. This is the big deal. So we're in the uh, letter that uh, Peter is writing to a group of churches um, in the same group of churches he wrote his first letter to. So this is his second letter. Uh, as many of you probably know, uh, if you don't, we have been traveling through the historical chronological unfolding of the story of God through Scripture. So we started in Genesis, the book of beginnings, uh, 17 or so years ago, and we have just been making our way through the chronological story of God, book by book, piece by piece. And where we sit today uh, is uh, at a stage in history history where Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, is now 30 years past the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So that's the historical space we're in. Uh, Peter is in Rome, pastoring the church in Rome, and he's writing letters out to uh, the churches that he has and continues to have influence over because of his leadership and his apostleship. 
Paul is also writing letters from Rome under house arrest. And John is writing letters and uh, there are letters moving around. And so that's the context we're in. And the particular letter we're in, this letter written by Peter, as we've talked about, just, a, just again, a, a letter that in some ways, because of where we are, is a letter that begs us to pay unique attention. Again, we pay attention to all of Scripture constantly, but this one right now for this time is like, hey, why? Because when Peter is writing this letter, being 30 years post being with Jesus on the planet— He has had 30 years of life now where he has lived in the same context as we live in, with Jesus not physically on the planet. Sometimes we can hear from the apostles and think, yeah, it's great because you, you, have, you have a different context. But Peter's context has been our context for 30 years now. He has lived uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit in him with the absence of the physical presence of Jesus. He has lived on the same planet we live on with its same unpredictability, its same brutality, its same confusion and instability. He has watched over 30 years the miraculous unfold, and he has watched over the 30 years the most brutal realities that this planet has to throw at us unfold. He has walked in our shoes, and he's writing from that vantage point. He's also living in a culture where everything around him feels like it's all going mad. Have you ever woken up in the morning and said, what's wrong with the world? Have you had that feeling recently? Have you turned the news on ever or uh, jumped onto one of your streams and read something and go, go, what's wrong with this place? Yeah, of course you have, as have I. When we look at our cultural context or the global cultural, cultural context, it feels like the world's going mad. It feels like everything's unraveling. We are the recipients of the final great unraveling. Sorry to disappoint and burst your bubble, but you should go sit in Peter's shoes and see what Rome was like when he was writing this letter. If you were there and there was a news station, you'd be going, what's wrong with the world? Everything's unraveling. This is the end. Oh my gosh, it couldn't get more mad than this. And what a refreshing thing that we are paying attention to a letter who has an author who is living in a world scenario that is very much like ours with a variety of all sorts of philosophies and false teachings and things going around that feel very compelling and very wonderful with a culture in pursuit of individualism, pleasures and process and self-orientation with the madness of hostility against anything that is of God. Peter's context... So when we read this letter, we are reading from a man who has walked in our shoes for 30 years now, not a man who is walking beside Jesus day to day in a way we could not. And that matters. And we are, remember, reading a letter where this man has the profound revelation that this is likely the last letter he is writing because he sees the circumstances and has heard from the Spirit that his time is short. He is going to be martyred, which we know he will be. And so this letter, he says it. He's like, man, this is, this is probably it. 
And so there is this like, here it is. What matters is in this letter. Here it is. And so we ought to kind of go, wow. So what, is, what has Peter told us so far as we've traveled through? I mean, he started where Peter starts, where Paul starts, where John starts, where anybody that has encountered Jesus and has the Spirit of God goes in as far as the authors of Scripture are concerned. And that is he starts with the gospel. He's like, remember what you are recipients of. Remember who Jesus is. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what grace has been afforded you. Remember what your future is. Remember what your present reality is in Christ. Oh my goodness. And he does it in this like, oh, oh can you believe this? Are you, this is, this is mind blowing. And we ought to read that just going, wow, that's right. And then he says, if this is true, if this is who we are and this is who Jesus is, then in light of that, we should live as children and people of his kingdom with him as our king, which means that the way we will live our lives, if it is the way of God and his kingdom, will be utterly different than the way of this world and this kingdom as faithful and kind and gracious and wondrous and self-controlled and, and, and beautiful and glorious. God is, this world is uh, often the opposite. Graceless, unkind, unpredictable, unfaithful, a place of broken promises. And he's like, man, in light of God, live the way his, his way is. And, and if you do know Jesus and live that way, fruitfulness and effectiveness and life and light and freedom is yours and those around you. And if you choose not to live his way, knowing him as savior, you are short-sighted. No, so short-sighted you are blind and you are wasting so much, right? That was Peter. And then what did he say? Last week we were there. So because all that's true, I, Peter, am going to spend the rest of my life Reminding you of all the old truths, all the foundational things, all of the longevity of the history of the story of God, all of the gospel. That is what I'm going to do. Remind, 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 remind. And you all ought to do what for each other? Remind, 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 remind. Yeah, you'll discover some new things, but the point isn't just new. The point is, in fact, to stabilize in that which is old and beautiful and stable and has longevity and history so that our faith isn't always founded on the newest trinket, but it is founded on the beauty and history of the reasonable realities of God's story and all that he's revealed. This is what Peter is saying to us. Men, come, gather up, remind each other of the gospel. And now, as he is continuing to unfold this letter, he walks us into the next section of the letter with this constant reality in mind. What I'm telling you to do, Peter says, is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and live in response to what you know of Jesus. That's, that's the foundational reality Peter's saying. Followers of Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and live in light of who Jesus is. But if you're going to do that, because that's difficult, here are some things you need to pay attention to. That's what this letter is about, right? It's here's the grace you're recipient of, and it's going to end with here's the grace you're recipient of. And in between, it's like, so pay attention to these things so that this becomes your reality. 
gather up and remind each other that was the first men. Gather up and remind each other of the truths of God. And now he continues. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And here's what Peter continues to say as he writes. Verse 16 starts, For we did not. Okay, let's just stop there. Um, because that sentence begins with a little word, and the word is for. Why is that word important? In the same way that last week, the word that we got is therefore, and we stopped there. Why? Because whenever you see a therefore, or a for, or a because, right, what is it doing? It's connecting. That's right. There are two of you that remember this. That's good. It's connecting, okay? And it's important because we often read Scripture as though the part we're reading is the only part that matters. But just like in our conversations, there is a conversation unfolding. And sometimes in a conversation, we are changing subjects. And sometimes we're not changing subjects. We're building block our way toward a conclusion. And whenever the words like therefore or for or because are in play, it is a building block conversation which means that we need to pay attention constantly to the whole. When you sit here sometimes and say, why do you take 10 minutes of the preaching time and just repeat everything from last week? I was here. It's because if I don't, we will run the great risk of individualizing the passage we're in and not finding it connected and we'll miss the entire point because his point isn't just what he's going to say. The reason he's saying this is because of what he's already said. So here's what he said. I want you to remember Jesus and live in response to that this way. To do that, make sure you remind each other constantly of the long and beautiful and old truths of God. The ones we have discovered, the ones I've shared with you. And now he's going to say, the reason we ought to remember those truths and stand by those truths is something. And that's what we're getting into. So he said, let's remind each other of the gospel why does the gospel matter? Why should we choose that as our reminder? How do we know that's the truth that we ought to stand on? Good question. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says, remind each other of the gospel, remind each other of the truths of God. Why? Because when we brought you the gospel, the redemptive work of Jesus, who he is, what he did, who we are because of what he did and who he is, when we brought that to you, we did not bring that to you as a devised story to try to inspire you to live a particular life. When we use the word myth in scripture during the time of Peter, this historical context, the word myth is best understood as the idea of a story. We didn't bring you stories. Now, stories have different contexts. Sometimes a story uh, is a completely made up thing, right? And sometimes a story is what we might call historical fiction. 
The story itself is made up, but there are facts within the story that are not made up. They are real. And so you are placing a made up story inside of a set of facts so that it's partly true and partly not. But you do that with the intent of taking that historical context and making it fuller, coloring it in a little bit so that you can understand some realities of what happened there. So historical fiction is wonderful to read, isn't it? And so what he's saying here is this. We didn't bring you stories. Whether you are talking about the kinds of stories that are historical fiction, there were some things that happened and me, Peter, and the other apostles and the prophets colored in a bit for you. Some of these things are real. Some of these things are kind of made up, you know? And we didn't make them up to kind of bamboozle you. We made them up because we're trying to teach you. See, when we're telling stories, there's two reasons we might tell stories. In other words, make things up. The first is as a hoax. We are making things up with the, with the understanding that they're false to trick somebody into believing something they shouldn't so they can behave a certain way, right? That's a hoax. But then there's also what we call fables. And fables are actually wonderful little things. We use them all the time with our children, right? We tell our children things that aren't actually true. And some of you, you're like, I know, preacher, brother, we lie to our children. We don't lie to them. We tell them fables. Do you know why? Because they are not at a place in their lives intellectually or in maturity to understand truth in its raw form. So we tell them stories. We don't intend to pretend those stories are real till they die. That would be a hoax. We tell a fable to color in reality so that they can process it. You with me? So what Peter's saying is, when we came to you with the gospel, with who Jesus is, with what he did, we didn't color anything in. We didn't add anything to the equation that isn't actual fact. This is not historical fiction. This is not our version of it, our perception of it. We came to you with what we saw, and what we saw wasn't just that Jesus came, it's the power with which he came. So that's why I use two words here. The fables that we came with were not fables, they're facts, they're real. And the real things we saw included that Jesus came and that he came with power. What power are we talking about? Well, that's where the fable part comes in. That Peter's saying, wasn't a fable. Jesus came. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And while he lived before he died and rose from the dead, he did incredible things. Things that would be fable-like. But he actually did them. Why? Because who was Jesus? God in the flesh, the Son of God. So if he was, in fact, not just a human, but fully human and fully God, then he would naturally do things that in normal humanity would be fable-like. And so Peter's saying, listen, the reason I'm going to spend the rest of my life reminding you of these things is because they're not fables. They're not colored in. They're not historical fiction. They are, in fact, exactly what we told you. Why can you know that? Look what he says. But we, Peter is writing, were eyewitnesses 
of his majesty. I love the word majesty there. Not just eyewitnesses of his life, eyewitnesses of his story, eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's back to power here. Peter is making the point that obviously if we told you about Jesus being a good man, being a righteous man, being a, being a, a, a prophetic man, all these things would be great things to say, but they might be his life or his story that we have observed. But Peter's saying, no, 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 no. He was a majestic being. He was something other. There was power, and we saw that power. And we're telling you things that are extraordinary because, by definition, they were extraordinary. I'm not making it up, he says. I was there. Now, part of the reason why Peter is saying all of this is tied to what he's unpacking for us and for the church in terms of the way we live, why we should remind each other of these truths and why we should live in response to them. But he's also dealing with some practical realities that this church, the churches he's writing to are facing. They are facing the reality of false teachers. And false teachers uh, are people, little preview for what's to come in the letter, are, are people that are going to, in some way, shape, or form, erode the realities of truth. And the fastest way to erode the reality of truth is to show it to be myth or fable or historical fiction, colored in. Peter was encountering, as were the churches of his day, a people that were taking the facts and realities of Christ and they were saying, the people telling you about Jesus have colored some stuff in. Is there truth in the Bible? Is there truth in what they're telling you? Of course there is, but not all of it's true. Lots of it isn't true. It's just their opinions, their thoughts. I know that you have no experience with such things. I know that in our culture, we cannot fathom or imagine the idea that people would say that this thing, the Word of God and all that was said of God is kind of partly true, kind of not. Uh, that some of the stuff in it you should take as gospel, but some of the stuff in it is just human opinion. Folks, this has been going on for thousands of years and Peter is saying, just FYI, I was there. And what is he saying he was there to witness? God's majesty. Now watch this. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What a fascinating thing for Peter to pick. Just, I mean, think about the, the, the entirety of all the things he witnessed. Uh, Jesus' death, he witnessed that, and then he's what? Resurrection, his ascension. I mean, I might go there, you know? I mean, remember, we were there when Jesus started floating up, and he's like, I'll be back. And he, I mean, yeah, there's some things you can pick. We were there when the storms were, 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 were raging, and Jesus went, stop, and the storms were like, sorry. We, we were there. He could have picked anything, but he picks this one. We were there when the voice spoke on the mountain. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why would he pick this one? Well, <laughs> the spirit of God uh, is always, always choosing so carefully. Because one of the realities that always unfolds 
when false teaching infiltrates the place is that the eventual end of that is that God's promises for the future aren't going to come true because the promises you thought were present aren't actually factual. So if his, if his future promises aren't going to come true, it means he's not coming back in the way you think. There's not going to be a judgment of sorts and accountability. So how you live is really about the here and now. That's where it always goes. And what Peter is making sure here is that this life that we live in light of who Jesus is, is dependent on the fact that our future is with him, right? I mean, if you knew it's just for right now, but after there's nothing, he's not coming back. There's no future. There's no with, then you sort of like, why, why would I follow a king who I'm not even going to meet? And so this story goes around throughout the centuries and the thousands of years. Ah, he's not coming back. Ah, it's not going to happen. But there are prophecies in the Old Testament that tie to things that happened during Peter's time. And then there are prophecies during that time that tie to things that have happened since Peter's time and our time. And then there are things in Scripture that are about things that have not yet happened. And what Peter is saying here is, he's saying, I was at one of the moments that was spoken about thousands of years before and that ties to something spoken about that's yet to come. Here's one of the moments. In Psalm chapter 2, or, or, or Psalm 2, the second Psalm, it's, uh, Psalm number 2 is a prophetic Psalm. And what it means by a prophetic Psalm is that it specifically is about a future reality of God saving us. Listen to this. And in Psalm chapter 2, it is very specific and spoken. And if you were at the time of Peter, uh, a Jewish person, you would know of this. And by this time, 30 years into church history, even if you were a Gentile, you will have learned about this because you will have learned about the prophetic realities of Christ. And here's what Peter says. He just mentions the transfiguration because in Psalm 2, it says this. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What comes right before that? Right before that, listen to this. He who sits in the heavens, verse 4, laughs. The Lord holds them in duration. This is about the nations who rise up and say, whatever, we're better than you. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, the holy mountain. So there is this prophecy that in Psalm 2 says, A day is coming where I will set my king up and he will make things right. And the nations that are hostile toward my kingdom, they shall be no more because I will rescue them from themselves and those that still stand against me will face my wrath. Okay, so that's Psalm 2. And what does he specifically say in Psalm 2? When I set my king up on his high mountain, I will speak over him. This is my son. This is my son, my begotten son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter says, I was there when the fulfillment of Psalm 2 took place that said, this guy is the one that I said is coming and he's coming to hold the world in judgment. Now listen to this. Just when I say that, you're like, I don't like that, the judgment thing. We're not allowed to say that in our culture. I hear you. But the reality is that humanity is going to be held accountable for our sin, our darkness, and our death. 
The reason we're free isn't because there's not going to be judgment and God's going to be like, it's okay, I'll just let you off the hook. It's because he took our sin and he took our darkness and he took our death and he took it upon himself. And he replaced our death and our darkness and our sin with his righteousness, his life and his light. We are the recipients of his redemptive work. And because of that, we are free. So that when he judges, he will judge those who are in Christ as righteous, not because they in of themselves were righteous, but because they are the recipients of his grace. And so Peter's like, that's coming. I was on the mountain when it happened. So dude, it's coming, ladies, it's coming. Buckle on up. It's all layered right into this little seemingly passing paragraph. Now watch this. This is where it gets crazy. So you thought this was all fun. That's like the setup. Here we go. Watch this. We ourselves heard this voice. And then verse 19. We have and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Okay, so this is, this is what gets mind-blowing to me. Listen to what Peter's saying. We often, I think, think that if only we, we had the opportunity to live back in Peter's time and Paul's time where we could see Jesus walking the earth. Can you imagine if you saw the things Peter saw? If you were eyewitness to the things Peter was eyewitness to, don't you think that would bolster your faith? Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I'm like, if I could have had his story in his life, seen what they saw, knew what they knew, then my faith would be a hundred times what it is today. All I've got is this. And here's what Peter just said. Peter, the one who was eyewitness to those things. He said two things simultaneously. First, he says, listen, the stuff we're telling you, we're not coloring in, we were what? We were there. We were eyewitnesses. We saw this stuff. And then he says this. It was profound to see. But what makes my faith strong is not that I was on the mountain seeing it. It's that I had the prophetic word before I saw it so that I could go, what? God's story is unfolding before my very eyes over thousands of years. And it's much bigger than my little story. Peter's saying what causes my faith to be strong is the history of the Word of God, the prophetic nature of the Word of God, the beauty of the Word of God, the accuracy of the Word of God, the authenticity of the Word of God. It is the Word of God more confirmed than ever, and on that I pay attention. Peter doesn't say, pay attention because I saw him on the mountain. He says, pay attention to the Word of God because I trust in it more than I trust in what I've seen. That's crazy. So just own that for a second. It doesn't even make any sense. I want to go to Peter and say, that's not true. What you saw is more important. You saw big things. I wish I'd seen them. And Peter's like, you don't understand. You don't understand. What makes this truly trustworthy isn't any one lifetime or any one set of things any one human has seen. It is the grand and mighty 
ongoing historical story of God carefully and beautifully in revelation recorded for us so that we have the totality of it, so that we can see his past promises becoming present faithfulness and his present promises becoming future faithfulness so that that which we do not yet know to be fulfilled, we can trust will be because that which he revealed would be fulfilled has been fulfilled. Peter is saying to us about his own experience and about what should be ours is this, that you and I have a very, very small story in the grand scheme of God's story, don't we? It's a beautiful story. I love it. Yeah, but it's small. And even within our small story, we have small moments in that small story where things go really well or small moments where things go really badly. And when things are happening to us, we, because our story is small, We are only going to inform what we believe to be true by that which we are standing in. And perhaps a few days, weeks, or months, if we're really mature, years before and beyond us, right? And we're like, where is God? This is super heavy. He's absent. He's not here. God's promises are not coming true because I'm right here in my story. And what Peter is saying is, hold on. What I have discovered, Peter says, is that though in my 30 years, I've had my own sets of all sorts of things go on, it is the nature of the history of the Old Testament and all of its prophecies that I've been the recipient to see unfold that causes me to have great faith in whatever is yet to come that I've not yet seen unfold. We should pay attention to God's story because when the only story we pay attention to is the one we're in right now, then we are basing the truths of our lives on a chapter in a book instead of the whole book. I always say, you might be in a wonderful chapter right now, or you might be in a terrible chapter right now. I don't know. Maybe everything you thought was good and right and true yesterday is suddenly not. Maybe the rug's been pulled out from under you. Maybe promises have been broken. Maybe your whole world has come apart. Maybe you've lost that job that they promised you'd have forever. Or maybe your marriage is falling apart. Or maybe your friendship has gone south. Or maybe your dreams are dying. I don't know. Terrible chapter. Dark and horrible. You've had a diagnosis you weren't expecting. There it is. Where is God? And then what Peter's saying is this. You are in a dangerous chapter but you should take a look at the whole book because this book is very safe, very safe, because it has a long history of promises that I have watched come true. And now you have another 2000 years of promises that you've watched come true. And for those yet to come, that totality is what you should pay attention to because it will become a light in your darkness. Oh, I didn't say that, he said that, sorry. I just kind of repeated, just in case you're like, that was beautiful, Renault. a light in my darkness. No, 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 no. Let me not take from Peter what he says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Back to the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's like, look, this is all going to be brought to fruition. The morning star is returning. He will rise up and our hearts will know fully the truths of God. In the meantime, while you live in the in-between space of darkness, what should you pay attention to in order to hold fast to the confession of your faith? The word of God. 
not your observations, not your experiences, not your feelings, not your stuff. Those are all important and all good and all great. Peter's were important. He was eyewitness to incredible things. But he said, comparatively to the historical totality of God's word, that's what I put my trust in. We live in a unique time in history where because of the technology we have, we have the ability to explore like we've never explored before, our planet and our universe, right? You guys are aware of that, right? Like, really? We're doing that? Yes, we have been for a while now. We get to explore our bodies. And so two things are happening. One, we are beginning to discover the extraordinary depth of intricacy of God's creation. Now, us humans have a propensity always to bring our assumptions to the table in our exploration so that we can shape whatever we see by whatever we want. And I'm not talking about the evil world out there. I'm talking about you and I. We do that. They do that. We all do that. But when we are able to see just what is before us, it is extraordinary how much in our world we get to see. And one of our advantages is because of that ability to explore, we have been able to test the authenticity and reliability of God's word like we've never been able to test it before. You all think sometimes, oh my gosh, it's getting dangerous out there because they've, they, they do all these things and then they've got all this historical data and this archaeology and it's, it's kind of eroding the realities of God's word. And, and I'm like, oh, you should look into it. It's not. Not at all, not in any way. We have more reason today to trust the authenticity and reliability of God's word than we have ever had in all of history. And in Peter's time, what he said is, I don't even have what you have, and I trust this thing. And what was he talking about when he was referring to scripture, Old or New Testament? Old, because we hadn't even put together the new one yet. So when our culture comes to us and says, oh my gosh, the Old Testament's full of fables and stories like the Nephilim and Lot and all those weird things that happened. It can't be true. Peter wholeheartedly disagrees. Peter wholeheartedly disagrees. He's like, I put my trust in the gospel as a basis on the prophetic scriptures of God. And so we sit here, in, in fact, let me just read you this. In, in Peter's first letter, he, he wrote this. I, I think it's fascinating. You guys might remember this from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He said this, concerning this salvation, this gospel, this story, concerning this, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look. We are the recipients of that. And we sometimes, I think, say, man, it's unfortunate to live in our time, isn't it? Where all we have to trust on is this. When the people of Peter's time got to see Jesus face to face. And if Peter were here today, he would look at all of us and say, are, are you kidding me? Are you, are you out of your mind? 2,000 additional years of watching God's story unfold. Technology to authenticate this like never before. And you're, you want to 
be where I lived? We were just figuring this stuff out. You have it in spades. So what would Peter say to us? It would be good for you to pay attention to the word of God. If we want to be a people that remind each other of the ongoing truths of God, the safe story we're in, even though we might be in a dangerous chapter, then we're going to have to be a people of the word, a people that know God's word, study God's word, trust God's word, understand God's word. If you're here, by the way, and you're like, I mean, first and foremost, hello, have you heard the stuff out there? I don't even know if this thing's reliable. Just an FYI, on May 22nd, you can mark your calendars down, on May 22nd at 6.30 p.m., we're going to be in this building and we're going to do a forum on uh, the defense of our faith. And a large part of that forum is going to be the reliability of the Word of God, all of its historicity, its eyewitnesses, its archaeology, everything else. If you've ever wondered, can we trust the historicity, reliability, and authenticity of this, you should be there May 22nd. It's mind-blowing what has been discovered. And Peter is saying this to us. It is the word of God I trust. Not what I've seen, not what I've heard. It's the word of God. And do you know why it's the word of God I trust? Last little piece. Here it is. Second Peter, last little piece. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I often forget about this verse because we, we gravitate toward other verses when we're trying to defend the fact that the scripture was God-breathed. You know, because Paul said that it's God-breathed and the, it's good for, for searching the soul and uh, every word is. But Peter says it more beautifully here than, than most. He's like, don't you understand? This thing you're reading when you read it, wasn't written by mankind. Yeah, people's hands were used. People's minds were used. People's bodies were used. People's experiences were used. But think of it this way. The Spirit of God took them and carried them off so that he might tell you what you need to know. That's how Peter just put it. Nothing in the Word of God is the interpretation of mankind. Myths, stories, historical fiction. It is, in fact, the revelation of God to us about who He is, what He's done for us, and what kingdom He has made available to us, and our story now in light of that. Pay attention, Peter says, to the Word of God so that you might remind each other often of the things of God so that you might live out the ways of God in light of the grace of God. And this is our story of following Jesus. It's not complicated, just difficult. But we can do it together as a people of the word and a people of faith. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us and the amazing gift it is that you have given us your word by your spirit. That as Peter said, not a word, not a prophecy, not a revelation, not a piece of scripture was put into place by the will of man. 
but instead by your Spirit who carried all involved so that you might say exactly what you wanted to say to us. And may we be a people that take more seriously than ever the realities of being in your word, understanding your word, studying your word, memorizing your word, reading your word, enjoying your word, and reminding each other every day of that which you've said in your word, so that by your spirit, we might be a people that live in light of the grace we discover in your word through your spirit. Thank you for being so kind to us And thank you for using Peter in his moment in history on our behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.